Hey, if you would turn in your uh, copy of Scripture to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We are continuing our study through the pastoral epistles, and we call them the pastoral epistles because they are written by the Apostle Paul to his protege Timothy, his son in the faith, who was a pastoral person. And uh, he was left in Ephesus to set some things right and to raise up a church there in Ephesus. And so this is the second letter that he wrote, and this is near the end of Paul's life. And he's in his second imprisonment in Rome. And this is probably the last letter that he will ever write. Not alone to Timothy, but just in general. uh, Because it's presumed that he wrote this around 65, and he was killed in that same year, presumably. We don't know the exact date and time, but we do know that he was killed shortly after this, after his second imprisonment in Rome. And he's telling his spiritual son Timothy to stir up his own heart. Because it's really easy in life, if you have walked with God for any amount of time, that life gets hard and your heart gets hard. And he's trying to instruct Timothy to fight the good fight of what we looked at last week in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, fight the good fight. And why would he tell him to do that if he wasn't prone to lay down his arms and to say, I just give up. I'm tired. And maybe you find yourself this morning in your own spiritual lives and in your own relational lives that you just want to throw in the towel and you say, I don't want to fight anymore. I'm doing good just to sit here right now. And I'm doing good just to come to church. And that's okay. This is, there's a place for you here. And yet, I would be remiss if I didn't say that you and I must fight the good fight. That there is a time and a season for everything, right? There is a time to heal and there is a time to wound. And so the Lord tells us this morning that we are to listen to Paul's admonition to Timothy so that we as a church might know how we ought to encourage one another. In fact, this letter is extremely instructive as we look as almost like in a microcosm, peeking in, eavesdropping on this relationship between Paul and Timothy. It's instructive for how you and I interact with one another in this church. How you and I interact with individuals. So we can take our cues because Paul himself said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so we see in Paul's admonition here throughout the first chapter of 2 Timothy how we are to admonish, how we're to exhort, how we are to love one another and speak to one another. See, Paul was very well aware of how easy it is to get discouraged and depressed and doubtful in life. And he's trying to write this letter to inspire faith in Timothy because he knew that he would die soon and he wanted to leave something for him to hold on to because each one of us is given to burnout in our own spiritual lives. That's another name for depression and doubt and discouragement is burnout. And in fact, in January 6th of this year, there's a fellow by the name of Jonathan Malesic who wrote an article for The Guardian titled, Your Work Is Not Your God. Welcome to the Age of the Burnout Epidemic. That's the title of the article. And he begins the article by saying that the reason why so many of us, and I'm taking the the idea of our vocations as an avatar for our spiritual lives. They're one and the same. They're both related, right? He says, the reason why so many of us are at the end of our rope is because we have allowed work to be what gave our lives meaning. 
And then at the end of his article, he tells of a burned out millennial named Lee who says, I'm so obsessed with reaching some notable level of success and hitting my financial targets that I've forgotten how to actually enjoy life. Lee, he writes, says she feels as if she has something to prove, but she doesn't know to who she's trying to prove it. So why do we feel the need to prove ourselves all the time? To other people, and even to our own selves, and might I say even to God, sometimes we feel like we have to prove ourselves that we are worthy of love, that we are worthy to be in this place. Because we are looking for affirmation outside of the very thing that God intended for us to find our affirmation in, namely Himself. At root, we need to take our cues from how the Apostle Paul inspires Timothy. We need, if you're taking notes, we need to be reminded of our identity and our purpose. We need to be reminded every day, as it were, of our identity and our purpose. Consider even how Paul opens his letter. Timothy knew who Paul was, right? Paul could have simply said, Paul, to Timothy. But he doesn't do that. Look at verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul was clear on who he was. What his identity was. In whom his identity was to be in relationship with. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to His will, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And it's instructive for us, for you and me, Christian, that we need to revisit our identity and purpose in Him because we are so prone to forget who we are. Aren't we? We get snookered into thinking we are what we do as opposed to we do because of who we are. And so, again, if you're taking notes, our first point that I want to look at in verses 2-7 through is simply this. You need to be reminded of who you are. Who you are. Paul reminds Timothy that he is loved by his spiritual father. Look at verse 2. He says, to Timothy. And he could have just stopped there, right? Because Timothy knows like, hey, I'm Timothy. You're Paul. That's great. No, he takes the time and the energy to give context to. He says, to Timothy, my beloved child. Paul, consider this, took the time to remind Timothy that he is a beloved child. Not only of Paul, but of God Himself. He prays for him night and day. Look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And day. It's a good thing to tell people that you're praying for them and to actually be praying for them in all earnestness. And then following up with them and saying, hey, how is your, your mama and them? How are things going? I was, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your broken leg. I've been praying for your back surgery. I've been praying for fill in the blank. And then he says in verse 4, again, this is all instructive to how we are to interact with one another as Christians. Verse 4, he longs to see him. He says this, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. 
that I may be filled with joy. Now that will put some wind in your sails. If somebody says, man, I cannot wait to see you. If you've ever had reunions with friends from college or long lost buddies, and you're like, I cannot wait to hang out with you. And then that stirs up your own faith and your own excitement to be with them, doesn't it? That's the point. And it's okay to open up our hearts. We, we are so careful to guard ourselves from being vulnerable with other people. We, we don't want to go there because they may think we're weird. But Paul tells us that it's okay to long to be with someone. To say, I want to be with you so that I can get joy. And so that I can impart to you joy. Redeemer, we would do well to tell each other how we feel about each other. To cultivate an environment where it's not weird to tell others, I am so grateful to God for you. Ashley and I are convinced that what each of us need more than we would like to admit is encouragement. Isn't it? How many of us are going to the workplace and we are not getting encouraged? We're just you know, slogging it out and then we're checking out. And then we interact with one another in church and we get some of the same. Friends, I'm convinced. I don't get enough encouragement. I know you don't get enough encouragement. That's the world in which we live in which there is cynicism and pessimism, sarcasm and joking and and ways of talking about things without talking about things. Aren't there? We would do well to breathe life into each other, to encourage someone. Quite literally means to give courage to someone, to put courage into someone. Let us not be a people whose default conversation is sarcasm. Talking about the weather. But that you and I would be uncomfortable with going there. And say, hey, I noticed that you looked a little sad today. Are you okay? Hey, I was really excited about coming to church today because I knew I'd see you and your kids, and I'm just so thankful that you're here. <laughs> Even just hearing that, doesn't it just like, wow, that'd be pretty awesome to hear? <laughs> That's the kind of environment we want to cultivate, but cultivating requires you to put some tines in the ground and to till up the soil of our hard hearts and sometimes of us just doing what everybody else does and what what we've always done in church or what we've always done in our culture instead of saying, you know what, I want my experience in this life that I'm only going to live about 80 years in to be different than just getting by, than being okay with sarcasm, than being okay with coarse joking, being okay with, with all these other things that we in our culture are okay with. I pray that we would be uncomfortable. I pray that there would be a day when we look each other in the eyes, sit down to write a letter of encouragement to another brother or sister. At the very least, send a text or an email that would say something like, hey, thank you so much for playing the piano this morning. It was amazing. You spent hours practicing that and then you got up in front of everybody and you started playing the piano or, or the guitar or singing. Thank you so much for taking time to practice so that we could sing. How awesome would that be? 
Hey, thank you for cleaning out the pews this morning. Or for planning and printing out the bulletin that is here, like clockwork, every Sunday morning. Hey, thank you for hosting a community group, for letting everybody crash in on your house, and maybe or maybe not, cleaning up afterwards. How awesome would that be if we take the time to open our eyes and to look outside of ourselves and to say, wow, they are really making an effort to care for other people. And I notice that. And I want to encourage that. I want to build that up. I want to say, man, that really meant a lot to me that you texted me. Thank you. I was having a really cruddy day. But that just helped. Just saying that you thought of me. What kind of church could we be if we lived like that? Instead of just like, See you next Sunday. It'd be a lot healthier place to be. It'd be a place that you and I would get excited about to be able to say, hmm, I'm developing, I'm growing with other people. But it takes work from every single person to be able to cultivate that. It doesn't just happen. And you don't see it just happening between Paul and Timothy, do you? They spent arduous years together, laboring together, fighting together, arguing, I'm sure, uh, with each other. That's the point of having relationship. But Paul continues his encouragement. But it's not this outside encouragement. It's not just like, hey, I just want you to know I think you're awesome. There's that. That's what's happening in verses uh, 2 through 4 here. But it's not just a mere outside encouragement, but that he picks particular points in Timothy's life that he wants to highlight. Something internal, something particular to him. It's not simply, hey, that was a great job. Great job for holding the church together, Timothy. See, because I know, like you know, that Paul knew that there was a, a, a tendency to doubt, a tendency to get sad, a tendency to give up, a tendency just to get by, doubting faith. Whether you wonder if you're effective in your evangelism or in your ministry of the Gospel. Wondering why you don't keep fighting. Why you just give up. Like All of that stuff is a slurry of emotion within Paul, I'm sure, as he's saying these things to him. And that's why he picks up on something inside of Timothy to encourage him. And this is where we can take our cues in picking out things in other people's lives. Because everybody's not wired the same. And it's really beautiful to be able to pick out particular ways that other people are a little bit more sensitive or a little bit more challenging than you might be. A little more thoughtful, a little more emotional than you might be. Because look, look at verse 5. This is where I'm getting this at. Look at verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I know there is a sincere faith, a without hypocrisy kind of faith, a non-duplicitous kind of faith to me. I know that that is inside of you. And I just want to say I know that. And I'm so excited. I know that you seem downcast and you feel downcast, but you're clinging on even by your, the tips of your fingernails. But I see that there is faith inside of you and I know it's there. I've seen it. So I want you Timothy to remember these words so that when you are prone to doubt your love of God or your earnestness for the things of God, Timothy, I want you to remember that I see these things in you, beloved Timothy. 
That would inspire somebody to fight the fight of faith. That would inspire somebody to keep going when they want to give up. Maybe we could be that kind of church that looks at someone and says, I know that you love Jesus. I know it's hard right now. Keep fighting. I know you have doubts. I know you have fears. And my encouragement to you this morning, Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, there may be an ember of faith this morning that you're coming with today. But I want to remind you that at least there's an ember. At least there's a a faintly burning wick that, that we are told that the Lord will not snuff out, that there may be an ember to your faith and you may not be really excited about the things of God this morning, but at least there's something there to where you're even sitting here, right? That's something to celebrate. That's something to say, God, you are at work in my life because apart from you, I would just be going through Netflix this morning. Apart from you, I would just be sleeping in, but I'm here this morning because I want to taste and see that you're good. So there's an ember there. Because look, listen, listen to Paul again in verse 6. Listen to this encouragement. For this reason, because I know that there's a faith that dwells in you, Timothy, for this reason, I remind you, because we are prone to forget. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. You take action, Timothy, for your own spiritual life. Take, take ownership of your own faith. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. It's in you, Timothy, through the laying on of my hands. I know it's there, but you have got to fan into flame that love. And so, point of application here, it is good to remember your past of where God has brought you to inspire faith for right now for the future. It is good to remember that moment when you were all nervous at 12, at 15, at 25 years old, and you entered the waters of baptism in front of everyone, and you got wet, and, and everybody was like, that's awesome. Let that inspire your faith. Look back on what God has done in your life to say, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, but there may have been faltering and stumbling. There may be looking down at the ground. There may be, I'm just so overwhelmed with life right now. Look back at your past to inspire faith for right now. There's something really beautiful about him saying, I know because I laid my hands on you, Timothy, and commissioned you as a, as a, as a prophet or as a priest, as a, as a pastor, as an evangelist, whatever category you want to call Timothy. He's out in Ephesus, so I'm grasping for what he is. But he said, I laid my hands on you, Timothy, so that you might do this work. So remember that day. So Christian, remember that day when you were baptized. Remember that day when you had the choice of to go that way, but you chose this way. There's something really beautiful about remembering. In fact, one of the things I do, <clears throat> if uh, I don't presume that you all follow me on Instagram, but if you do, it's at Matt. No, I'm uh, but on Instagram, I was just sharing that um, I will typically go to periods in my life when I remember my faith was was ablaze. And so I started listening uh, recently to Integrity and Maranatha music from 1990s. You know, Like some of the old timey tunes and those uh, are really inspiring. That's what I do. And maybe you would find it too. I don't know, you know, for the younger folks in our congregation, maybe you're listening to uh, Chris Tomlin. I don't know. He's, he's a little too hip for me back in my day. 
but, uh, or you're listening to something even older, right? But, but there could be something really beautiful about you just flipping on the tunes. Even this morning, I drove in and I was listening to Cademan's Call, one of their first albums, and it was like, man, dude, okay, there is, a, there is a faintly burning wick. There is something there. God, you did something in my life when I was 22 years old, and I want to remember that because right now it's hard to remember. Fan into flame. Be proactive about it and say, say I'm not getting any time. In, I'm, not, I'm not enjoying my time in the Word. We had a great uh, discipleship class with, that, that Chad led of thinking through, like, I'm just not getting a lot of awesome time. Fire's not falling down from heaven. That's okay. But it's the repetitive, consistent nature of spending time with God and saying, I want to see Jesus pass by and going day after day to His Word and saying, I don't see it right now, but by faith, I believe what you've said about me and I believe you said about yourself and I want to be there when you show up and when you set my heart aflame again. But you've got to breathe air onto it. You've got to fan it into flame. You've got to do something to say, God, you've got to show up. But it doesn't all hinge on you. See, I, I love the fall. I don't know about y'all. I'm so glad I can wear one of these, one of these little uh, jackets here. My new fall colors with a microphone there. With, so I, I can now change to my, my fall wardrobe of three shirts. Um, but... I love fall. Why? Because I love burning things. In fact, I was probably a little bit of a pyromaniac when I was a kid. Maybe still am. Um, but I love to take leaves and I love to burn them because I love the smell of leaves. It's like a, a, a sweet incense. And uh, it reminds me of my childhood and all those things. I love roasting. All the things that fall, I love it. But what do you not do? What is the first thing that you learn not to do when you're a kid? You don't put all the leaves on at one time. You put a little bit. And, but, but in my zeal as a kid, I would take all the leaves and I would just throw them all on because more is better, right? And what would happen? Well, there would still be a faintly burning ember underneath all that. So how do you get the thing to start burning? You've got to start scraping away some of the leaves. You've got to start scraping away some of the things that are choking out that flame in your life. And sometimes, Christian, instead of piling on more information in our lives. We need to reckon with the things that we do know about God. Reckon with the very fundamental basics of the faith of God being one in three persons. Let that sit on your mind for a little bit and just be in awe. Sing the song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was before Abraham was. I am. Consider some of these things and just meditate on them and, and let the information overload cease. And say, Lord, I want you to fan into flame the information that I have because it's not about progressing such that you go from A to Z, but it's like, Lord, I want to grasp onto A and I want to milk it for all it's worth. I want to understand and I want you to apply this truth to my life. So my, my admonition to all of us is that you learn to slow down. You learn to simplify your life. More is not always better. Fast is not always best. Let the Spirit of God, what you're doing is you're providing an avenue for the Spirit of God to come like a rushing wind to breathe on those embers of your life. 
as you meditate on God's Word, but you have to have some kind of fodder, some kind of wood, some kind of leaf, leaf that you would put on that fire. Right? So the Lord says, I use means to accomplish my purposes. Perhaps instead of reading five chapters of Scripture tomorrow morning, maybe you should just read one verse and meditate on that. And let God turn it over in your heart so that it actually astounds you. And then just consider that, if, if, again, if you're taking notes, this is just a simple practice I do when I'm spending time in God's Word, is consider one, what does it tell you about God? And then two, what does it tell me about me? That's it. It doesn't have to be rocket science. You don't have to get into the Greek and Hebrew. Just what does it tell me about God? And what does it tell me about me? And then, quite simply, am I living its truth? What do I need to do? But if you, if you start with those two questions, I promise, over time, the repetitive habit of just reading and letting God's Word sit on your heart, He will, by His Spirit, fan it into flame. After we spend time considering who we are, we can then step forward in faith. You have to know who you are, who your identity is, because it is so easy to get discouraged in life, especially when things don't go the way you want them to go. Hope seems impossible and fear begins to creep in, but we have to remind ourselves who we are yet again because we forget. And we need to remind ourselves what we have, or rather, who we have within us. Look at verse 7. For, this is the reason why he says that you should fan into the flame. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We have the spirit of the living God dwelling within us. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in your mortal body so that just like his resurrection, you too will be resurrected. And yet we forget that. It's because this, this passage doesn't give us license to just spout off whatever we feel like we need to. Hey, God's given me a spirit of power, so I'm just going to offend you. No, no, there's certain parameters. Look very carefully at what the spirit produces. He produces power, right? Faith over fear was a real big popular thing, and maybe it's still popular now. Put it on a t-shirt, put it on a hat, whatever. But the spirit gives you power, sure, but he also gives you love for other people. And He gives you self-control so you don't have to say that in that way. We have the Spirit, but we also need to secondly consider whose we are. <clears throat> whose we are. So who we are and then whose we are. Look at verses 8-14. through 14. Paul says to Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me His prisoner, but share in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God who saved us. And called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day, speaking about the resurrection of all, all of all people, 
of that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. When our faith in our culture doesn't earn us points, when our world doesn't celebrate the things that we celebrate, and it seems that what we believe is just archaic and small-minded, remind yourself that before the Enlightenment, before scholasticism, before all of these historical developments that even Paul was tempted, and Timothy was tempted to be ashamed of the Gospel. And so why would he, that's why I think he makes it very explicit. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because he, he knew that that was a, a tendency in his own heart. We have to remember, we have to remember, this is how Paul fought it and this is what you see throughout this paragraph, that we are beloved by God. That God doesn't put His arms around you and me after we do what He says. Let me say that again. He doesn't put His arms around you and me after we do what He says. That's a hard pill for some of us to swallow because we have given ourselves over to the fact that God doesn't love me unless I do this. Or because I did this, He doesn't love me. Let me just tell you that before you knew anything about Jesus, He died for you. While we were yet sinners, not after we got done with the sin, while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us to adopt us. So why would you live your life any differently than saying, God, I know that you love me many times in spite of myself. He says, not because, verse 9, he says, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and his grace. That's why He called you. That's why He said, come to Me if you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's the prerequisite. Is that you are broken and you are humble and contrite in spirit. And He says, that's, that's all I need. I can work with that. Whoever says, yes, I am wounded, I am broken, I need a physician to heal me. As opposed to like, well, let me put a tourniquet on real quick and then let me come uh, hang out with you. Because of that grace that God gave you, not because of your works, but because of His own purpose and grace, because of that grace, the Lord has given you everything you need to carry out your purpose as His daughter and as His son. As a preacher, look at verse 11, as a preacher, an apostle, a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, a mechanic, a hairdresser, a business owner, a school teacher, We can often identify ourselves by our profession, but before all that, you are a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Before you were whatever, fill in the blank, whatever your job is, whatever your profession is, before that, you were a minister called by God. But even before all of that, you were a child of God. Adopted. Before time began, God knew who you were. And God called you to Himself. You were a child of God even before you were a child. God doesn't then, therefore, delight in you because you accepted some full-time call to ministry. He doesn't think you hang the moon because you have some kind of respectable job. 
If you lost your job today, Christian, if you lost everything that you hold dear today, do you know that you would still be beloved by God? If it all went to pot, do you know in your heart of hearts that you are beloved by God who bought you with his own blood? I'm convinced that this is the only thing that kept Paul going. When he was shipwrecked and beaten and mocked, look at verse 11. He says, For which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. He says, no, no, notice the phrase, he says, I am not ashamed, I know who I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard what's been entrusted to me. We have a stewardship that God owns and he's entrusted to us. We have a message and a hope that Satan would love to get you to forget. To get so busy with that you just forget. You get so overwhelmed that you don't do anything about it. He'd love for your flickering flame to get overwhelmed with carpools and soccer practices and your own secret sins. But you have been given a glorious purpose to know Christ and to help others receive the warmth of His love from that same hope. How? By communion with God. The secret communion with Him each moment of each day. Not just in the early morning, but at lunch. Clocking out at the end of the day. Talking with coworkers, Communion with the one that you belong to. Look at verse 14. This is the key to this whole paragraph. He says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That is how you guard this deposit. It's not that you just, man, I sinned again. God's so disappointed with me. He says, remember that you have the Spirit of God. That's how you cling on to these promises. And that's how you share these promises. But then lastly, it's not only important to know who you are and whose you are, but you also need to know, lastly, that you are not alone. Look at, this, this is this last paragraph of verses 15 to 18. Because it could be really easy to get overwhelmed with the cares of this life. It could be very easy. In fact, it is so easy to get overwhelmed with the cares of this life that Jesus talks about that. And I alluded to it in my pastoral prayer a moment ago. Jesus said, The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the Word so that it is unfruitful. Like Demas at the end of 2 Timothy that Paul will talk about later, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And we see it again here in, in chapter 1, verse 15. These, this same desertion that's happening. Look at verse 15. He says, You are aware that all, all, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Friend, you may feel alone. In your fight for faith, you may feel like you're the only one who cares. But you're not alone. Paul himself was abandoned. And as he says later in this letter, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will go through suffering. That is God's way of refining His children. 
Take comfort that when you feel alone, you are not alone. Paul was not alone. Jesus Himself, though He was abandoned at the cross in His hour of need, naked, being shamed by the world, He was unashamed because He knew who He was. He knew whose He was. And He knew that He wasn't alone. He may have felt forsaken, but He knew in His heart of hearts that He was not forsaken. And so the answer though is, yes, you may feel alone. Remember that you have other people who have been abandoned too in life. But don't focus. This is what we see instructed from Paul. Don't focus on what you lost. Focus on what is all around you that oftentimes we are blind to. Fight the good fight by looking around you. Quite literally. Looking down your pew to your left and to your right. Looking in front of you and behind you. That's right, yeah. That's, that's great, Eddie. Good job. Yep. I saw you looking. That's good. Yeah, look around. I'm saying look around. These are brothers and sisters who also have felt alone and downtrodden and depressed and doubtful and fearful and wondering if God could ever love them. But yes, they have the same struggles you do, believe it or not. I talk to many of you. And many of the conversations are the same. God has put you here in this congregation, I am convinced, so that you can build each other up towards love and good works. Focus on what's around you. While your family may think that you're crazy, or your friends think that you're a fanatic, remind yourself that there are other crazies in the world. That you're not the only one who's crazy. Look at verses 16 through 18. He says, Yeah, there was Phygelus and Hermogenes. Lord, okay. But then 16, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Look all around you. There are Onesiphoruses all around you. Even now, they're sitting next to you, ready to refresh you in your faith if you'll let them. Don't overlook the ones you have covenanted with in this room. Don't think your doubts and your fears are too much to share with other people, that you don't want to overwhelm them. As one friend shared on Instagram, it is not a burden to share your burdens. So true. I promise you, if you share them, you will find rest for your souls, friend. I quoted from uh, the article at the beginning, and I want to finish with that same article. Malesic uh, finishes it by saying this. He says, there can never be enough assurance in your job. In the present day work ideology, your accomplishments matter less than your constant effort toward the next accomplishment. If you're trying to find your worth in your accomplishments, it is a treadmill. You will not find assurance by looking to your own efforts. Yes, God uses them to fan and to flame these things, but you don't put your reliance. You can't put your reliance. So the Lord says, look up to who your identity is in Christ. And then look inside you. The Spirit of God who dwells inside of you has given you power and love and self-control. And then look out around you 
for the encouragement that you need. Remind each other, Redeemer, specifically, truthfully, actually. Remind each other of who you are and whose you are and that you are not alone. And I promise you that this church will look different, will smell different, will act differently than so many churches. If we could just get this right, if we could encourage one another towards love and good works through actual words a specificity of, of reality, of speaking life into each other. What a beautiful congregation this would be. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of life. We thank You for the gift of one another. We thank You that, that we can be instructed through a very clear model of Paul to Timothy, reminding Timothy, who is timid in his faith and fearful, I'm sure, and doubtful, I'm sure, he pointed him to who he belonged to. That his identity was in Jesus, not in his works. That God saved us according to his own mercy and his own purpose and grace. Father, forgive us when we forget. And we are so prone to forget. We pray instead that we would step out in faith. Knowing that you love us. And we ask You to give us the help that we need, the encouragement that we need, even today. May we be that for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.